0: Thank you, and I appreciate that. It's good to be here this morning. Man, we got some, (laughs) we got a lot of people that are celebrating Memorial Day, don't we? I know we've got folks that are camping out and out of town and gone to graduations, but wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he will be in our presence, and it is good to be here, and we do, obviously, man, we got a lot of folks on the road traveling. Um, We just need to be in prayer uh, for their... Travels this weekend their safety and uh, getting back home I do want to before the scripture reading this morning, and I'll go from the scripture reading right into the message I do want to point out some things that are in bulletin. I know they're in the bulletin But sometimes we overlook them, but I just want to reiterate again next Sunday We're going to be a, a celebration for our graduating seniors. We have three. I did want to mention too. Madison Little uh, Graduated from college the University of Texas that school over there in Austin And so we did not put her, we put our high school seniors in here, uh, but so we have three of them. Julius is here this morning, and uh, so he graduate, he did graduate uh, this year, and he'll be going to Texas A&M. Let's see, Courtney Thurman, and uh, who, I know, come on, brain, I'm having a glitch. We'll see, yeah, he's going to. I don't know if you saw his graduation pictures, but he had a leopard jacket on. He looked sharp and a black cowboy hat. He'll, we'll celebrate those. Frank is preparing uh, chicken spaghetti salad, uh, the bread, and we'll need some desserts. And, but you'll hear more from Matt about that this week. Look, to, look forward to a good turnout. And obviously, we want to make sure that we bless our seniors with some just the fellowship and gifts as well. Still Creek will be here on June 13th, the ranch, which says Blessing Frontier Summer Camp. Refer to your bulletin for checkout. And then the Summer Bible Class, you're going to hear a lot uh, from myself in the office this week because we're going to start that on June 9th. We already have 11 or 12 volunteers signed up, and we've had over 30 kids respond. So I think we'll have uh, K-5, through somewhere around 40 kids, which will be a blessing. And then our Zim program It just continues as always. So it is good. These things are uh, noteworthy. Uh, For scripture reading this morning, we're going to be in the 103rd Psalm, the 103rd Psalm. And then I'm also going to include a section from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12. So 103rd Psalm, beginning in verse 10, the scripture reads, and this is a Psalm of David, a Psalm of David. One of David's Psalms. Verse 10. He has not, he, God, has not dealt with us according to our sins. Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Praise God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Read that again. For as high is the heavens are above the earth so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us just as a father has compassion on his children so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him the Lord has compassion on those who fear him for he himself knows our frame He is mindful that we are but dust as for man his days are like grass as a flower of the field so he flourishes when the wind has passed over it it is no more and its place acknowledges acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's, children's, to those who keep his covenant and who remember his precepts to do them. Three times the psalmist mentions um, a relationship that we have with God based upon those who fear him. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon writes this wonderful uh, message. And uh, if you read the first chapter, he'll tell you why he wrote it. And he was obviously the son of David and God, uh, he requested wisdom from God. God would give him anything. He requested wisdom. God saw that it was good and he gave him wisdom. So at the end of Ecclesiastes, which is the sayings uh, of the preacher, he ends this great uh, wisdom literature. In fact, it's called wisdom literature in chapter 12, verse nine, with these words. In addition to being a wise man, The preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many Proverbs. Obviously, he authored the Proverbs as well. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is worrying to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, and because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil." The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Now, Philippians chapter 1. We've been in the study in Philippians and the foundation verse is in the introduction of, to the, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And he says in verse 6 of that chapter 1, Paul says to the Philippians, I am confident, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The entire letter, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians is a proof of that, a teaching of that, a evidence of that. He makes the statement, the rest of the book, and Philippians is known for many, many uh, uh, favorable verses, the great verses, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All those wonderful statements are in Philippians. But the premise, the foundation for every statement in Philippians is the proof of this statement. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And everything he says then is the proof, the doctrine, the theology of that statement. So for this morning, I want us to look at verse 9. And he says, and this I pray, we talked about this last week, that your love may abound still more and more in the real knowledge, in real knowledge, in all discernment. So, last week we uh, dealt with the, or actually, two weeks ago, we, we with the house open here last week we used the passage out of Ephesians. But two weeks ago we dealt with the beginning part of that verse. And this, I pray that your love may abound uh, still more and more. And we talked about biblical, scriptural, Christian love as divined throughout the Scripture. Now, the second part of this statement is that. The prayer that your love may abound all more and more in real knowledge, and then this section, and more in real knowledge and all discernment is our focus for this morning, and probably will be for the next two weeks. So, if you were Paul and you were alive 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, and if you look at his life in light of the book of Acts, uh, basically from the sixth chapter of the book of Acts moving forward. It's the story pretty much of Paul, his conversion, and his mission trips. And so if you read later on in Philippians, he even gives his own resume. He said, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew as to the word of God without flaw. That's his own testimony about himself. So we have a lot of information about Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. He makes this statement, and this statement has to do with Real knowledge and all discernment. So he would say, I would pray, ay, that your love would abound. I want your love to grow. I want it to grow more and more and more, but he doesn't stop there. And he, the same would be true for every one of you. If you're a Christian today and you hold to the truth of Scripture and you say that you love God, Paul frames it in a very unique way that our love, the love that we should be praying for, needs to grow more and more in what? He doesn't leave it open-ended. He says real knowledge and discernment. Now, so it's a specific prayer, and going back, the framework of who Paul is, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. When he uses the word law in all of his New Testament letters, he is talking about the very first word of Genesis to the last word of Malachi. Paul considered the entire Old Testament, the wisdom literature, the major prophets, the minor prophets, the praise book of Psalms, all the creation accounts, the first five books of the Bible, he considered every one of those to be law, Torah, word of God. And so Paul, whenever he had a Bible study, topically, his whole framework would have been out of the Old Testament. It just would have been. And so Paul, if you sat in his teachings 2,000 years ago, and he talked to you about real knowledge and discernment, there would be a foundation for it that permeated through the entire Old Testament. I've just picked out a few verses. I challenge you to look at these verses, write them down, and then start connecting the dots. The other thing that you'll see is that 33% of the New Testament is Old Testament. Now, in the ensuing weeks, we're going to talk about paul's understanding of real knowledge and discernment but this morning we're going to start where paul would have started from if you were to have a discussion with paul and say okay paul you're praying that my love would grow more and more in real knowledge and discernment tell me what real knowledge is tell me what real knowledge is we're going to do this quickly go to proverbs chapter one proverbs chapter one wisdom literature solomon wrote it He wrote Ecclesiastes, wisdom, knowledge, okay? Now, Proverbs chapter one, and this is where Paul, it would have been somewhere in his study, if you had a personal study with Paul, this would have been included in part of that study. And and so this was his Old Testament word of God, understanding of the knowledge of God, the knowledge, uh, real knowledge and discernment. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1 of uh, the Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, is what? To know wisdom and instruction. I wrote these Proverbs so you would know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. To discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior. Righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive. To the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure. The words of the wise and their riddles. Now here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Out of the Old Testament. And Jesus would quote it. He says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. From the day we're born, we're acquiring knowledge. Our eyes begin to go from being dim to we see more clearly, we hear. And our life in this flesh begins as a little infant. And we're acquiring knowledge. Most of the knowledge that we acquire has to do with earthly knowledge. Most of the knowledge that we acquire has to do with earthly knowledge. The things that we've learned according to the world. And when Paul talks about real knowledge or prayer that increases our love on the basis of real knowledge, Undoubtedly, he would have said this. You and I can never have real knowledge. It would not be possible according to the word of God without the fear of the Lord. You can't have a discussion on real knowledge and discernment that will increase your love as a Christian without beginning at the fear of the Lord. You just can't. There's no way around it. I have one verse or one passages. I've included several in here. I just read from the 103rd Psalm. I just read from uh, Solomon's statement in Ecclesiastes 12. There's over 300 verses in the Bible. Actually, there's over 400 that have to do with fear. It resonates through the Bible, fear. Several of those verses have, you know, well, you, you better be afraid of this. Or do not fear this. Don't fear this. In fact, Jesus would say in Matthew 10 and chapter 38, he says, tell you what not to fear. Don't fear, don't fear the one who can kill you and put you to death. Do not fear that person. Fear the one after your death who can cast you into eternal fire in judgment. So there's a do and a do not fear. But for you and I as Christians, and I would have to say to you that if you said to me, Aubrey, when you look at the body of Christ, when you look at yourself, when you look at the majority of Christians in our journey, where we are trying, I believe, I truly believe most Christians are trying to grow their love. We don't know how to love. We just don't. If you go back to that 1 Corinthians 13 passage where it talks about you know, love is this, love is you know patient. love is kind. love does not brag, it's not arrogant. It does, you know, the way we think about love, it has to do with a feeling. Biblical love has nothing to do with a feeling. Your feelings will not be patient. Your feelings will be full of pride and self-protection. Your feelings will be based upon selfishness. Your feelings are rarely, if ever, patient. And so biblical love, spiritual Christian love, is not a feeling. It has a foundation at its very, the knowledge, the essence of it, that is very clearly, this is what it is. Now, if you want to see what it is, all you have to do is look to the cross. That's all you got to do. Look to 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, On a cross, we just read the passage out of John 15. Greater love has no one than one who would lay his life down. Romans 5 says that the love of God was poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But he would go on to say that, you know what? Let me talk to you about that love. Somebody might die for a good man. Maybe somebody will die for a good man. You know, you might say, I'm going to die for my son or, or, or a good man or... But God demonstrated his own love for us. And yet while we were yet wicked, wicked. Would your feelings allow that? Of course not. Your feelings would not allow you to let your child, blameless, holy, and without sin, to die for godless, wicked people. Tie it all together. I pray that your love may abound more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Solomon said the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. Just read the additional passages here. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 10 of Proverbs. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 33. Job 28, 12 through 28. Psalms 111, 1 through 10. All of those writings, and they're just a handful, they're in your handout, have to deal with the fear of God. But let's just camp right here. And this is what it says, and he very clearly, going back to verse 1, uh, is this fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge... And so he makes a concluding statement about to launch into the rest of the teaching of Proverbs, but he starts it off and you cannot, you'll never know wisdom instruction. You will never know wisdom. You you cannot know it. It's not possible to know it without fearing God. You'll have some knowledge, but it won't be real knowledge and it won't be real discernment unless it has to do with fearing God. God. If you'll go to the 42nd chapter of Genesis, it's the story of Joseph. And I hope you know the story. His brothers sold him into slavery and and, and really from a very young age until he was probably uh, in his mid thirties, life was not good. Brothers were conspired to kill him. They were jealous of him. God gave him a great vision saying, one day your brothers are going to bow down to you. His father made him a jacket of of a whole lot of many colored jacket. And so he expressed that to his brothers. His brothers were jealous of him. They conspired to kill him. They put him in a pit. Ultimately, Simeon reaches out and says, well, we can't kill him. So they sold him into slavery. He's in a foreign country. He's a young man. He goes to work for a guy by the name of Potiphar who's a powerful man. He he finds favor with him. Potiphar's wife seduces him. And he doesn't relent. He said, I can't do this. How can I do this? Your master has given me all the services and the goods of this house. And you're his wife. I, I could not do such an evil thing. She lies about him. He goes to prison. He sends, spends 12 years in prison. 12 years in prison. He finds the favor of the jail, jailer, and, and he's able to interpret uh, visions and dreams, and, and he goes before a Pharaoh, and he interprets a dream rightly, and, and so Pharaoh gives him a position in his court, and he rises second and only power to Pharaoh. Years later, there's a, f- a famine in the land, and, and the Israelites have to go to Egypt, and and, and Joseph, in all his wisdom, had caused the, the Egyptian Pharaoh to... Uh, store up food and so the rest of the world during this time where there was no famine when there was famine was coming to egypt because of the wisdom the knowledge of joseph and so his own brothers now the ones that conspired many years later show up they don't know that joseph is joseph and there's a great moment in the 42nd chapter of Genesis where he, could, he, he, he says to his brothers, they don't know it's him, you're spies. You're just spies. You've come to search out to see the portions of our land that are defenseless. And they said, oh, no, 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 we're honorable men. We, we tell the truth. He said, okay. After he put them in jail for three days, he comes to him and he tells him. He finds out there's a younger brother, a fellow by the name of Benjamin fellow by the name of Benjamin. Said, uh, uh, Paul said that he was a descendant from the tribe of Benjamin. Joseph has a plan worked out. He wants his brother and his father to end up in Egypt. They don't believe Joseph when he basically tells them, you're going to go get your brother and you're going to come back here and you're going to prove you're not a spy. In this great statement, Joseph says, you can believe me because I fear God. And his whole life was an example of fearing God. You know why he had real knowledge and discernment? Because when his brothers sold him into slavery, He feared God. When he was in Potiphar's house, as a young man, no doubt a beautiful woman making herself available to him. To his own hurt, he didn't take advantage of that because he feared God. Years later, when he was second in power only to Pharaoh, and could have brought about righteous judgment on his brothers, he didn't do it because he feared God. At the, after his father dies, and his brothers are really convinced, oh, okay, now we're going to, dad's dead, because they all end up back in Egypt. He makes this statement to him. He says, you have nothing to fear from me. Because what God intended, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. Now, and it was all based upon one thing. His level of honesty, integrity, willpower was based upon he feared God. I mentioned to you last week, God didn't save us from sin so that we can sin. Since the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, the church has struggled with sin. From having all things in common in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 6, They're arguing over which widows are getting fed first. You know why? Because they didn't fear God. Every argument and division and dissension that happens amongst God's people is because there's a lack of fearing God. Read every letter. Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Boy, they were a mess. Galatians, they were a mess. Ephesians, they were a mess. Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. All of them, read Paul's letters—the first, uh, second letter to Timothy, and then to Titus—read what Jesus has to say to the seven churches of Asia Minor in Revelation. You know why the church was in all those. You know what every whether the struggle was in that church, whether it was a sexual immorality with the Corinthians that couldn't, wasn't even named among the pagans, whether it was Christians suing one another in open court, whether it was their sexual immorality. Is because they did not fear God. You'll never have love that will grow and abound more and more. Unless you have real knowledge and discernment. And real knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. Think of all the common sins that men are caught up with in today's world. Not just today's world, but throughout time. Think about the struggles that you endure in your flesh. Whatever it may be. It could be anything. It could be of a sexual nature. It could be pornography. It could be be literally knowing the commandment of God and ignoring it. Why? Because we don't fear God. I read from Hebrews chapter ten last week. And the writer said it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. They say the pendulum swings, and historically, in any number of things, and you know, and for years, it, maybe we taught about grace and grace and grace and love and grace and mercy and forgive. Oh, that's good. But there is no grace and love and mercy and forgiveness without a real understanding of who God is. And fear, I've heard preachers water down that word fear. Well, that means reverence or it means respect. And there is certainly an element to that. But you know what this word in the Hebrew, you know what it means? And it means that every time except about four times where it does refer to reverence uh, and respect. The rest of them have to do that you and I have a terrifying fear of God. Yeah, I'm convinced I'll never have a growing love in me that is biblical in nature until I know what it is to fear God. Wisdom and instruction. He would go on to say a fool, you can't instruct a fool. He has no fear of God. You can't, in verse three, you can't receive instruction in wise behavior unless you fear God can't do it. You you will never understand righteousness, justice, and equity without the fear of God. You'll never, the naive will never have prudence. The youth, knowledge, and discretion without fearing God. All these young people that were sitting up here this morning and God has been so, we've been blessed here. So I said, we've got a lot of folks on the road. But even on the other side of a pandemic, God is growing this church. And he's bringing families and he's bringing young kids. And he, you know, we're just blessed. And these young kids, and they're just so young and they're fragile. And you know they're learning. They're acquiring knowledge. And their knowledge, a lot of their knowledge is going to come from a social media, a, a, a social media some type of social media network or from a very, very secularly driven public school system now. Just as little as 50 years ago, our elementary schools, the teachers would have a Bible on their desk. The school day would start with saying the Lord's prayer. Pledge of the, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Teachers could speak openly about their faith in God and lessons that they had known and learned. Not anymore. Not anymore. Don't you dare even mention God in a public school. Now, I could go on and on, but there is a great truth here that as the world goes, so goes hell. As the world goes, so goes hell. Is your, is your wisdom and instruction and discernment, behavior, your understanding of righteousness, justice, and equity, uh, prudence to the naive, youth, With knowledge and discretion. What's it based upon? Well if it's not based upon. The fear of. God. Our love will never. Grow. It will never abound more and more. This is just a start. We're going to develop this over the next several weeks. I hope you've been challenged to think this morning about. If. If Paul were to ask you, do you want your love to grow? And what do you want it to grow in on the basis of what? He would say real knowledge and discernment. And he would start that discussion with the fear of the Lord. Jesus Christ, I don't know if you've ever thought of him about this way. What do you think motivated him? This is hard for you and I to swallow. Obviously, he was the son of God. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I and the father are one. In that garden, he's praying and his sweat becomes like blood. And he said, father, take this cup from me. However, not my will, but your will be done. You call that reverence, you call that respect. You think he wanted to endure three days in hell? Because after that resurrection, the minute that body died, the minute that body quit breathing, he descended into hell. There was not a waiting time. It was immediate, quick, and fast. The Holy One of God descended into hell, and he preached for three days. Three days he preached to the captives. And let me tell you something if there's anybody that had knowledge in abounding and growing love, it was paced upon a fear and a knowledge of fear and the discernment of a fear of his father. You want to be like Jesus? You want your love to abound more and more? Begin with fearing God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we love you. We need you. We cry out to you. And Father, in as much as I understand your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and try to understand your love, I'm quite sure that in my spirit, in my heart, it is a good thing for me to fear you fear you in a way that drives me so closely to you that all that I would ever want is your love. And your son is love. And it is in the name of love. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.